All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. And Isaiah 51 and verse 1. Isaiah 51, verse 1. Hearken unto me, <clears throat> ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. And we are looking at some holes of the pits that God has digged us out of as a result of salvation. The hole of the pit of delusion, the hole of the pit of debt, the hole of the pit of divorce, the hole of the pit of despair. And last time around, the hole of the pit of drink and drugs. And now we're going to take a look at the hole of the pit of disease and death. And if you'll flip over just a page or so to chapter 53, Isaiah 53 and verse 5. Speaking of Christ, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And then notice that last phrase, and with his stripes, we are healed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word this morning, this time to worship together, this time to sing. Uh, it is winter time. It is flu season. We ask for your hand of mercy upon us in these matters. And uh, thank you for safety back and forth. And pray especially for those among us that are traveling distances this weekend, that your hand of traveling mercies would be upon them. Bless our time together, we pray, Lord. May the Spirit of God bear witness to the truth of the Word of God. And Lord, help me to get out of the way. And may they seek Christ, and may the Spirit of God anoint your Word to our hearts. And we pray especially for those without Christ, either here in the building with us, or looking in online, that this might be the day of days for them. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we talked about this when we talked about the man, Christ Jesus, you see, some, you see someone, uh, when they came to Jesus, people generally brought their doubts, their fears, their diseases, their debates, uh, they didn't bring him very much that was cheerful or joyful. And we see in Isaiah 53, uh, part of the reason why here, uh, he's bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The Bible says he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about the whole of the pit of disease and death. Just in this last week, had a chance to talk to Brother Joe Pasola there, still recovering in Salt Lake City in the burn unit. And uh, Brother Nick Serino up in the northernmost part of Alaska in Barrow, up there in the Arctic, and his recent diagnosis with cancer. I think a sister, Sandra Ryder, who is uh, experiencing hospice care now as we speak, 
and others of you have buried parents, grandparents, and siblings. Only recently, I had an uncle pass who, lives in, who lived in the Chicago area, and on and on and on it goes. And the Bible speaks of leprosy, of an issue of blood, of fevers, of palsies, of the lame, the halt, and the withered. The Bible speaks of insanity, uh, disease of the bowels, the blind, the deaf, the dumb. The Bible tells us in Mark 1, and at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And the Bible makes a distinction between those two. Our secular society makes the mistake of thinking that there are no problems as a result of demonic uh, uh, entities, and, and then others will make the mistake of, of seeing everything in the shadow or in the context of devils. And the Bible distinguishes between those two and acknowledges that both of those things do exist. I think of healing being in the atonement when we look here at Isaiah 53, and indeed it is, but you got to understand something. We don't get it all right now. We pray for one another when we're sick. We pray for one another when we're going into surgery. I'm going in Tuesday to get another hip replaced. All I can say about that is I'm glad I don't have three hips. <laughs> Uh, two is enough, but you know all the instructions you got to do this in this day and that in that day and quit doing this and Stop taking this medication and take that medication and wash off with this thing That's going to kill all the germs on you and all that and I just uh, My wife and I were looking at it yesterday and my head just started to spin But men die of things too small to see with the naked eye and we look at this business of disease, and I'm, I'm rejoicing in this last little phrase at the end of verse 5, where it says, and with his stripes, we are healed. Folks, one of these days is going to be the end of all disease. One of these days is going to be the end of all death. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Between 250 and 262 AD, a pestilence raged all over the entire Roman Empire, from Egypt to the Hebrides. In some Italian cities, up to four-fifths of the population were wiped out. Men died like flies. One historian says that st statisticians of the succeeding age estimated that one-half of the human race perished in 12 years. This was in the late 200s, the third century. <clears throat> in the sixth century, the bubonic plague spread to Europe as part of a recurring cycle in the entire Roman world for 50 years. One historian mentions four distinct waves between 664 and 683. Another terrible plague was the Black Death of 1347 and 1348. It was estimated that one-fourth of Europe's population died, about 25 million people. It got so bad with the burial that the Pope declared the Rhone River as a proper Christian burial, and they were just throwing them 
into the river and sending them out in what they called death ships out into the ocean. And of course, most of us are somewhat familiar with the, uh, what's often called the Spanish flu or the Spanish influenza, in, not from 1914. And by, by 1918, the influenza had killed in, four, in uh, four years more than twice as many as the warring armies had in what was called then the Great War. And uh, I put that book in the bookstore about the great influenza. It was called the Spanish flu. And really, it, the reason it got that name is the only media that were reporting on it honestly were in Spain. And it's interesting because in that particular uh, outbreak, break, that epidemic, unlike the COVID one, uh, the government's of the world were lying to people about how bad it was because they didn't want to disturb their war efforts. Uh, we had men going into camps and in, uh, in, in getting trained to go out to fight the war and it was spreading like wildfire throughout those camps, so it was in Europe. And so the media in most countries, including ours, was very dishonest about it and downplayed it in Spain, for whatever reason, they were the only ones being honest about it, so it got the tag, the Spanish flu. And of course, if you read the books on it, uh, it was so bad that they were stacking the bodies like cordwood in the streets and in the uh, hallways of apartments, and it was just an awful, awful thing. Um, in our country and around the world, it seemed with the COVID, uh, they were going the other direction with it, trying to control people more as a result of this. But uh, that was the Spanish flu during the First World War. Um, don't ever make the mistake of picking up uh, medical uh, training volumes for those going into being a doctor or a nurse. Uh, there are more things you can die of, folks, I guarantee you, than you can live of. <laughs> and... Um, you know, we, we look at this and, and you see that phrase in the scripture and, and, and it says, and with his stripes, we are healed. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had a crown of thorns on his head and I believe that represented the curse, the curse that was on the ground. And of course, that will be lifted someday and all the disease and the death that came with it. Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. And you say, well, uh, how is it that I should rejoice from being delivered of the whole of the pit of, of disease? I have a disease or diseases. Well, rejoice over any disease you don't have. Amen. And that someday, as a result of knowing Christ as your Savior, you're going to get a new resurrection body that won't be subjected to any of those things that we're subjected to at this day. Uh, the Bible says in Philippians 3, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The Bible talks about our bodies under the curse 
as vile bodies, base and worthless, despicable, clothing notwithstanding. And we know this because if we don't constantly maintain them and wash them and nourish them and take care of them, uh, they will deteriorate. And um, the Bible talks about this hole of this pit. Um, you know, when you stop and think about it, they put a person in a casket, they seal that casket up, and they, they drop it in a vault, and then they drop that thing down in the ground. And uh, did you ever wonder where the worms come from? Now, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think they come from the outside. They come from the inside out. That's what the Bible says about our bodies. And the Bible tells us one of these days we're going to get new resurrection bodies. Praise the Lord for that. Disease and death. We could talk about disaster after disaster. One of the more recent ones was in 1970, a cyclone and a tidal wave hit East Pakistan near India. Um, 75 million people lived in an area the size of Arkansas. A million people died in the storm. One million died of diseases, exposure, and starvation afterward. And over two million were left homeless. They couldn't, they couldn't bury the bodies again. They sent them out on boats to sea, stacked them up in piles. They bloated. The stench was unbearable. Even after just three days, they said you could smell it from an airplane flying over the, over the top of it. The lack of relief that came from uh, West Pakistan, they decided to form the nation as we know it now of Bangladesh. Disease. Death. The Bible tells us that Christ conquered death for us. And death is very rude, especially accidental death. I think of flight 1713 some years ago to Denver. A little girl was having her birthday on that flight, and that she lost her life that day. Car accidents. I read an article in Pennsylvania years ago about a couple on a honeymoon got into a car accident and lost their lives. Death is very rude and uh, very impolite and very ruthless. A well-known athlete in France many years ago, literally struggling with an incurable disease, his last words were these, Oh, death, if you were a man, what short work I'd make of you. But you know what? Somebody whipped death for us the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Goes on to say in the same chapter, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil." And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I was talking to this brother about going, they were going on a vacation, Sun Valley, they were going to ski first day, their son had this accident, and it's been a week of vigil for them as a result of it. But he did, he did share this with me, he said they've had a lot of good witnessing opportunities, and you know we talked about how sometimes we ask God to use us. We ask God to use us, but God can use us in ways that we wouldn't always choose to be used. I remember getting treated for the first time 
uh, for leukemia in the fall of 02. And uh, I remember going around after they got the, 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 uh, the medications get going in me and make sure everything was okay. And then I would pull the plug on what they called the Christmas tree and roll that thing around from room to room to room on the Rose floor, the seventh floor at MD Anderson, the place where all the adults with blood cancer had. And my wife and I were welcome in every single one of those rooms like we were a long lost friend. And you say, what is that? That's God giving me an opportunity to be used of him. Not an opportunity I would have chosen, but Bible under arm, fistful of tracks in the other hand, and there was nobody, no matter what their background was, that turned us away as we went from room to room to room. And all those people were experiencing the same thing I was experiencing. But I had hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, the Bible talks about the house of mourning and the house of feasting. You want a fruitful ministry, go to the house of mourning. Go to the house of mourning. That's why some of you guys and gals going to the prisons with the women and the men, you see so much fruit in those prisons and jails. That's because what you're doing is you're going to the house of mourning and bringing the word of God to them. The Bible says Christ delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I remember when I had to have heart surgery some years ago and they got done with the test, and I finally got the call from the doctor, and he said, uh, uh, the one they call the widow maker is 90% closed. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you start walking real gingerly all of a sudden, and you start getting real, real philosophical. But you know what? The Bible tells us even with death that we should sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Those who know Christ never meet for the last time. Death is not a period but a comma in the story of life for the believer. And we've said it many times at funeral services. We don't say good night, or excuse me, we don't say goodbye to our loved ones in Christ. We say good night. We'll see you in the morning. Russia has the world's largest cemetery in Leningrad. And among those that are buried there are over 500,000 that fell victim during the uh, Nazi siege of Leningrad in 1941 and 1942. One of these days, the Lord's going to come back and the grave of every believer is going to be shattered. Shattered, and the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You know what? God's going to be just as rude to death as death has been to us. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, 
and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I've never buried a loved one. I've never been involved in the funeral service of saved or lost where I didn't think that death was a big thief. And this whole thing about death is just wrong, folks. It wasn't part of God's original plan. It cropped up as a result of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. But one of these days, God's going to do away with it for time and for eternity. And there's this wonderful place called heaven. And the Bible says, Oh, when shall sin and sorrow cease and joy for pain be given? Where dwells the sunlight of love, eternal is God's life above? A still small voice said heaven. O heart, I cried when thou hast died and all thy joys be riven. What lies beyond the other side? The same sweet voice to mine replied, the home of Jesus, heaven. O traveler on life's dusty road, by sin and sorrow driven, say, what can bring thee peace and rest and cure the ache within thy breast? Like Jesus, home and heaven. And every once in a while, my wife and I, when we're watching folk go through difficult things and maybe going through them ourselves, and especially when some of you have to bury someone you love dearly, we will look at each other, and the only word we have to say to one another is that one wonderful word, heaven. Heaven. Because that's the answer, folks. That's the answer. Uh, not an election, not a scientific discovery, not a, not a prosperous economy. Uh, the answer, folks, is heaven. And the, the last hole of the pit I want for us to look at this morning, and that will conclude this message. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and that last hole, that last pit that the Lord delivered us of as a result of salvation is the hole of the pit of damnation. And this is probably the most important one. Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25 and verse 41. And then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, damnation. Damnation. You know, they make horror movies, and uh, they, uh, they depict gore and death and dismemberment and things like that. But uh, I'll tell you what, they've never made a horror movie that comes any close, even close to that moment. To be standing there suspended between heaven and hell with nothing under your feet, understanding for the first time in your existence the only thing holding you up and keeping you from the lake of fire is the will who's of the one who is sitting on the throne judging you for the works you claimed 
would get you to heaven and displaying them for all to see, thoughts, intents, and actions, and then realizing in a moment he's going to release what's holding you up and you're going to spend an eternity in a lake of fire. Folks, no horror movie can even touch what that represents this morning. The whole of the pit of damnation. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, let me beg you to trust him today. As a result of preaching this message again, I went through this book again, Trapped, and it's the book on the 1909 Cherry Mine disaster in Cherry, Illinois, where over 200 men lost their lives and widowed many women and orphaned a lot of little boys and girls in that town in, in, in the early 1900s. And, and the 21 men who survived for eight days down in there and uh, finally made it out. And that's what the book is about. And I reread the book just to remind myself of certain things. And I'll tell you something, especially as somebody who's somewhat claustrophobic, I don't recommend you die without Jesus Christ. I don't recommend you take that chance. Someone said, well, I just don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. No, I don't either, but a holy God would. A holy God would. You say, well, I don't disagree. I, I don't agree that there's a hell. I, I disagree with that. Well, it doesn't matter what you think. Because if it were up to me, there wouldn't be a hell. But I'm not God. And also, if it were up to me, I wouldn't have sent my son to die for anybody. you got to understand, God's a lot more going on there than you and me. And people say, well, I don't believe this, and I don't believe God would do this, or God would do that. They're creating a God in the image of their own thinking. You got to step outside of that and understand that the, the attribute of God that all of his other attributes bow to and give way to is his holiness. Folks, why do you think he had to send his son to die for us? I mean, if God was just a God of love, he could have just been a big old Santa Claus and say, everybody, come on in. Lots of presents. But because he's a holy God, a sin committed against a holy God and an eternal God requires an eternal payment. And Jesus Christ is that payment. And if you decide to step into eternity without that payment, then you're taking an awful, terrible chance. You're going to face a holy God, and you won't even have the right currency to pay for your sins. And then you'll experience the whole of the pit of damnation. The Bible says the smoke of their torment, Revelation chapter 14, ascendeth up forever and ever. When I was working as a welder years ago, we'd work sometimes on big boilers in commercial, uh, in, in factories and in, in commercial applications. And I remember one day I was working in a, in a boiler room. They had this massive boiler that had a, uh, a little, a little looking glass. And I remember looking into it every once in a while and that, that blue and orange and, and white and yellow flame just raging through in there and hearing the, the roar of that. And I got thinking, what would it be like to be trapped in a place where that's going on for eternity? For eternity. This track here, your first six days in hell, I said to you before, if you can get somebody to read this thing, it's a powerful track. I'm going to read it to you this morning. Most vacations include an itinerary. You have an idea what you will see and do before you arrive at your destination. The Bible has enough information to project an itinerary for those whose destination is hell. Let's look at the first six days. Day one, the trip originates at the gate of death. 
since departures are made daily, you are called upon to begin your trip on short notice. Since the journey is only one way, there is no need to concern yourself with return plans. Your initial point of departure may prove more than a little frightening as you suddenly realize the finality of your destination. The trip itself will leave you with little time to contemplate what awaits. As you pass through, pass through the doorway of death, you will notice <coughs> almost immediately that your direction is taking you away from the light toward what appears to be complete and utter darkness. With each passing moment, the darkness becomes more intense. At first, the absence of light is only annoying, but you feel it becoming more ominous and threatening. The intensity of the darkness is only matched by the absence of any joyful sounds. No music, no laughter, no sounds of merriment. And as you move farther, faint sounds of moaning and wailing become detectable. They seem to be coming through the darkness from every direction. You become aware of a faint light. It flickers like a flame, yet thick clouds of black smoke dance all around it, keeping the flame from casting, any, casting off any real hope of light. Suddenly you find yourself obsessed to know what day and hour it is. Already it feels like you've been here for an eternity, and it's only day one. Day two, the continuing darkness is stifling. It's as if something is lurking in the veil of night that surrounds you. You yell, you threaten, you even plead, but to no avail. Whatever it is just stays there, producing fear like you've never known fear before. As your eyes struggle to adjust to the dark, you become aware of a new sensation, the heat. It's right at the edge of unbearable, hot, searing, intolerable heat. Your body craves water. You'd give anything for a drink, and you try unsuccessfully to push aside that desire out of your mind. The air is thick, choking, and miserable, and it's just day two. Day three. At least you think it's day three. It seems like it has already been forever. You've not been able to sleep. You still can't believe you're here. Where are the friends you thought you would see? The knowledge that they would be here too and that you'd have a party had brought you some comfort in your lifetime. Where is the fun you thought you'd have? It isn't at all like you were led to believe. You stumble upon a group of others. You pour out a litany of questions. As they open their mouths, no words come out, only the sounds of weeping and wailing. Some in the group don't even try to respond. They gnash their teeth as if in some invisible pain. You wonder when this nightmare will end. You wonder why somebody doesn't make it stop. And it's only day three. How you wish you could send a message to those you left behind. You'd warn them about this place. You'd tell them what it's really like so they'd never come. The thought of your loved ones coming to a place like this is unbearable. You can't help but think back on the day when you made your decision to come here. You understood that your rejection of Jesus Christ meant that you would spend eternity in hell. But it didn't seem real or important at the time. Looking back, you think how foolish you were to reject God's offer of salvation. You wish you could choose again. You find yourself hoping that your loved ones will choose differently, even though you realize such a choice means you'll never see them again, never touch them, never speak to them. What a horrible realization, and it's only day four. Day five, you've become acutely aware of the absence of any good in this place. There's no love, for God is love. There's no joy or peace or goodness, because all of, all of these come from God as well. There's nothing sacred, nothing holy, 
Nothing of God anywhere to be found. You're amazed at how evil, evil can be. For the first time since your arrival, you begin to sense the great gulf that is fixed between you and where God is. The span is beyond your comprehension as you try to realize the degree of distance that will separate you from God and those who choose to serve him. God is on the other side of that gulf. Loved ones in Christ are on the other side of that gulf. What a lonely realization. And it's the end of day five. Day six, through the darkness, you saw a new face today, a new arrival. He stopped to speak with you. You could see the terror in his eyes. He asked the same questions you had been asking only days before. You opened your mouth to reply, but all that would come out was a sound of weeping and wailing. You've just spent your first six days in hell. Unfortunately, an unholy, unhappy eternity stretches out before you, all because you rejected Jesus Christ. But wait. The fact that you're hearing this says that you still have a chance. In his mercy, God is giving you an opportunity right now to change your eternal destiny. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans chapter 10 says. Do it now, friend, before it's too late. Do it now. Don't wait. Trust Christ as your personal Savior. You know, um, I have to agree with Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said anytime he preached on heaven, anytime he preached on hell, he felt like he was completely inadequate to handle the subject, to really describe it in terms that did it any justice. And I have to say to you this morning, I feel exactly the same way. All I can say to you is what the Bible tells us about the place and stand where God stands on this. And like I said before, if it were up to me, there wouldn't be a hell. But it's not up to me. It's not up to me. Uh, I'm not as holy as God. I don't hate sin the way God hates sin. And so uh, I, I'm not that, and, but I'm not as loving as God either. And neither are you for that matter. Don't kid yourself that you're the good old boy of the universe. And if you were running this thing, everybody would go to heaven and everything would be great. Don't kid yourself about that. You wouldn't send your son to be uh, slaughtered at the hands of wicked sinners and mocked and made fun of and ridiculed and tortured for the sins of all the world. You would never do that any more than I would. Folks, God is God, and he's an eternal God. And a, and a, and a payment or and a sin committed against an eternal God requires an eternal payment, and that's why you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior this morning. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. You know what I think as Christians this morning, if we would realize that God delivered us from hell, it would keep us from being the gripers that we are sometimes. We used to have a saying in Bible school, when somebody would get griping, someone would finally say, beats hell. Beats hell. <laughs> That's shortened to the point, but it's true, amen? I was stuck in traffic the other day and getting a little worked up, and I realized, number one, this is an American problem I got right now. I'm sitting in a heated vehicle, sipping on a coffee, and upset because I'm not going as fast as I want. That's an American problem. And, and secondly, it beats hell. <laughs> Amen. Whatever you have to go through this week, whatever challenges lie in front of you, no matter what they are, no matter how much physical or mental or emotional agony or social agony it causes you, it beats hell. You're not going to hell, folks. If you're saved here this morning, you're going to miss out on that place that I was reading about. You know, sometimes I have to just tell myself to shut up. 
You don't have to tell yourself to shut up. When you get griping and complaining, just tell yourself sometimes, say, DeMichael, shut up. You're not going to hell. What are you complaining about? I got a message called the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you. And it's not Biden getting elected for four years. <laughs> Although that's pretty bad. <laughs> Have old mush for brains up there for four more years. Um, it's dying and going to hell, folks. It's dying and going to hell. And I don't like the way this country's going. I don't like the way this world's going. But I'm glad that God in his word tells me where it's all going to end. And as a Christian, I'm going to end up on the right side. And you get worked up enough when you see the evil going on in this world, all this stuff, these revelations about this Jeffrey Epstein and all the high rollers hanging out with him and all the um, child molestation and pedophilia and stuff like that. It's enough to make your blood boil. But I'll tell you what, if you're saved here this morning, you're going to come back with Jesus Christ on a white horse, and you'll be able to do something about it then. Now's not the time, but you'll be able to do something about that when we come back with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with this verse here. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. The whole of the pit of delusion... That was all of us, folks. The whole of the pit of debt. We all had a debt we could never pay to God. That's all of us. The whole of the pit of divorce. That's some of us. The whole of the pit of despair. That's all of us. The whole of the pit of drink and drugs. That's many of us. The whole of the pit of disease and death. That's all of us. And finally, the whole of the pit of damnation. That's all of us, folks. And who knows how many other pits that God delivered us from when he saved us. But I want to close with this portion of Scripture this morning, Psalm chapter 40 and verse 2. The Bible says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. In that book, when those 21 men were finally discovered and led out of that mine, out of that darkness, out of the fire, out of the smoke, out of the gases that were in there that the coal miners called the black damp, that was a result of that coal burning inside of that mine, and those men came up on that lift cage, that elevator, and, and their, their loved ones and family screaming in, in happiness and yelling out, and these men could barely stand. They were so weak and so tired, and they hadn't had much. The only water they were getting, they weren't getting anything to eat. The only water they were getting is by trying to collect moisture off the sides of, of that coal mine and, and sipping it. And most of them, when they would sip it, then they would vomit it back up because it was so wretched. And those men staggering up off of those, uh, off of those uh, elevator cages and into the arms of their loved ones and the doctors and everything. And folks, if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, there's something you should know if you don't already know it. You're like those miners down there. You are trapped in this hole, this pit, and one of these days, either disease and or death is going to get you. And without, without Jesus Christ, you're going to be stuck in the hole of the pit of damnation. And God this morning wants to deliver you. He wants to lift you up out of that horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and put your feet on a solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it's all said and done, 
you can join him in heaven. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth of it. And we thank you for Jesus Christ who delivered us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I think of this little phrase that talks about going to heaven someday. Think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Of taking hold of a hand and making it God's hand. Of breathing new air and finding that it's celestial air. Of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality. Of passing from storm and tempest and from it into an unbroken calm. Of waking up and finding yourself home. That can be you this morning, friend. If you'll just trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're here this morning in this building or looking in online and you've never trusted him as your Savior. Just get rid of your excuses. Get rid of your procrastinations. Bow your head and heart to him and admit that you're a sinner. And you've sinned against his holy law. And you deserve to go to this place called hell. But for his grace, but for his grace, that's where you'd already be. And believe, believe that he sent his son for you to die on the cross. Was buried and rose again the third day in your behalf. And paid for those sins. To deliver you from the hole of the pit of damnation. The hole of the pit of death. The hole of the pit of disease. Someday you'll get a new body. A glorious resurrection body. A supernatural body. Not subjected to tiredness and disease. And ultimate death. And you'll be saved for all eternity from the results of your sin. The damnation that you deserve. And spend eternity with him in heaven. And experience delights and joys beyond description. Paul said, heaven is so wonderful that eye has not seen Ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Will you trust him this morning? Will you trust him? In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. If you're here and you'd like to come down the aisle and meet somebody that could take you into a room off to the side, answer any questions you might have about this business of being saved, we encourage you to do that this morning. If you're looking in online, right where you're at, bow your heart, bow your head, and accept Jesus Christ by faith as your personal Savior from sin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. And as believers, some of us that have been saved a long time, Father, I've been saved 50 years now. How good you've been to me. And I realize, Lord, had you not saved me, I wouldn't be on my way to hell today. I'd have already gotten there. And so such a great deliverance, I believe, merits complete and total thankfulness and gratitude and a life surrendered to you whichever way you want to use it however you want to use it help us Lord to realize the great price that was paid and say with the Apostle Paul thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift for this we pay and pray in Jesus Christ's name amen amen let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to 627 Number 627, what a day that will be.
dismissed. Thank you.